the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The pastor and social media, and then is HGTV harming our hospitality? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Thursday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. It's great to be with you today. Uh, Aubrey, it's Thursday. We do want to start. We didn't mention it yesterday, but man, have you been watching the coverage of that hurricane? It's like an uh, an unprecedented yes, hurricane. Yes, and I, area, storm surge, all that. Stuff. Yeah, That's and I, I'm cool. sure, you know, I'm sure by, I looked this morning, so I'm sure by now there's even like more damage than I realized, but it already seemed like, you know, power outages were happening and of course all the kinds of evacuations and plans in place because this category four at, at one point i know they were kind of mentioning hey maybe category two oh maybe category three well, they said on two night people would have went to bed thinking it was a category two or three and then they woke up and it oh, was four very uh, terrifying storm surge and all that stuff so i'm sure yeah. you've all seen the news coverage of it but be praying for our friends down in yeah. florida that mm. is that is scary yeah it's awful awesome. can i ask you a question of something i've never understood when storm yes hit? yeah why do they have mandatory evacuations but allow reporters to stand by the water? I don't know if – yeah, it's always a question that I think it may not be that they're allowed to, but reporters just do it. Like they're just sort of like, this will be my moment in the sun. Who cares about the mandatory evacuations? No, I mean they're letting the, – the, the, I guess it's just take your own – I guess of an evacuation, people can still stay in their houses anyway. I think that it's a choice. Yeah, even forced evacuations, I don't think anyone, like, has to leave. They just know they're staying at their own peril, and I the think it's the same with these people. In, I guess it's it, – it goes back to this, and this is such a smaller deal than the actual hurricane. Yeah, yeah. You could go yeah. check out coverage in, in newsy places, but – Yeah. Uh, I get that, like – have you ever heard the stat that the number one thing that a news thing could can run with to open a show is severe weather? They've they have studies that that's the best thing to hook people. I mean, that's the only time I really am like turn the TV on. We got to watch this. Like I, I'm proof of that. And so I guess that's the answer. But man, we live in a day and age where it feels like you could just fly a drone or you can like. That's actually yeah. a really good point. Or have take oh. cameras from that are up on a wall somewhere. Like yeah. Security cameras or something. But I guess we all like to see Jim Cantori and all these other guys fighting the wind uh, and the waves. It's, it was always a strange thing growing up in Oklahoma. It's a big thing to be a storm chaser there. And so you would, you'd be watching like t- actual tornado footage and these guys and their wives are like, out there and they're like storm chaser vehicles and they're like not paid to do this. This is like their hobby, but the news stations like pair up with them. And it was always so crazy to me. Like you're just literally going to risk your life. Okay, great. Go for it. It's crazy. Like Helen Hunt in Twister. That is what you are describing. So that is exactly what I'm describing. Uh, That was filmed in Enid, Oklahoma or Ponca city. Maybe that movie makes no sense. There's so many things that would never happen. And it's awesome. awesome. I haven't, I haven't seen it in a while. Is it awesome? My it guess does, is it's it not actually not, awesome. It does not carry over. You 
I watched it with my kids, I feel like, last winter, and I was just like, guys, You did? I said, guys, this, this movie's not going to make any sense. It's going to be dumb. <laughs> You're going to enjoy it. It's going to be exciting. We and have to end, watch it. At the end, they were like, eh, yeah, yeah, that was cool. And there's things flying in there all the time. There was that cow that went up, and there you go. So I do every once in a while I have a taste for a movie that's like, right, right now I think I saw there's one called like The Meg trench or something and it's like a giant water dinosaur like every once in a while i get a taste for like let's just go see this horrible disaster movie this will be awesome you know that's wild that's it's a great genre sometimes it is it is so Mm -hmm. we hope that the people down in florida are doing well and uh yeah it's a reminder that we think we're in control of everything and then things like weather happen and you're just yeah oh we are we are not in control there is there are bigger things than Mm, definitely Definitely praying for Florida. Thankfully, we serve a God who is in control and uh, can put our hope in that. All right, total different way down the road. Over at Nine Marks, I thought this was an interesting spot to start. Samuel James, he wrote an article called Pastors and Social Media. And here's what he said. If I were on a pastoral search committee for a church, one question I would have for each candidate is this. What social media accounts do you use? How often do you publish on them? And who in your life has access to your page and your private messages and can confront you if necessary, if anything? Oh, it's actually three questions. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Let's start because I think the interesting one that we might disagree with them on is who has access to everything and reads everything. Yeah. But yeah. What do you think about just I think I would do this, too, if I were hiring a and I have done this, but if I were hiring I think more and more I would be very upfront with the pastor, the candidate going, I'm going to tear through all of your social media. So, yeah, yeah, I, you know, it's funny, like we've done some hiring in the past year or two and I never even thought about this. And it might be just that I like have interacted with those people on social media before we hired them or anyway, or just as, so it, it, it actually, like, I've never even thought about it, but it actually makes sense to me with social media being such a um, ubiquitous part of our lives now that especially for your leaders, you want to know what they're on and what they're posting, I think, is perhaps the more important question. If yeah. they're on any, like, quote, shady sites, I don't even know what those would be necessarily. But then also you kind of want to know, like, you're not hiring a, a weird conspiracy theorist person or someone who's doing inappropriate posts or kind of not posting as if they're a Christian leader. And I don't mean perfection, certainly, but I do mean, like, is your integrity okay online? Remember, uh, was it last week we talked about that quote from the author Chuck Klosterman, who said he's increasingly believing that social media persona is the actual who that person oh, is? Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Kind of gets at that, right? Like, if mm-hmm. you're going to hire a pastor, a youth pastor, a children's mm-hmm. director... And they are like just fighting with people online. Yeah. Stuff that's you may or may not agree with, but it's going to be divisive to people in your church. Yeah. Whatever else it might be. I think uh, that is definitely grounds to not hire them, or at least it's part of the narrative. It's like, yeah. okay, we have to talk to them about this. Yeah. Uh, well, the second, or I guess he read third question. The third part of his question, I said, I wonder what you think about, uh, who has access to all your social media? So the implication here is somebody should have access to all your social media and holding you accountable. I'll be the first to say I have I'm not very active on social media, but there's yeah. nobody, 
There's no yeah. looking at what I post and what I do. What do you think about that a question that Samuel James puts forth here? Yeah, I, I almost would want to post it or pose it more as, hey, if you're going to work for our church, part of part of um, our culture here is that we speak into each other's social media. So if we see something that is inappropriate or raises a red flag or relationally isn't a good, we actually had this come up. There was somebody on our staff that posted something that felt a little kind of passive aggressive. And, and I had to call this person out like, Hey, there's some relational work that needs to be done here rather than a post on social media, you know? And so I think that kind of thing, like, let's just understand that's part of the culture. I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure why, and maybe someone could push back on me. I think it's a little weird to be like, who has exposure to all, if it's not your spouse, I, nobody, like, I'm not going to give anybody exposure to all of my social media and they can see what I'm posting. No, they can follow me and they can speak into my life. But if it's like, you need to preview things or you need to be in my messages. I don't, I don't know. That feels like an invasion of privacy to me. I get the accountability piece of it, but if you're having to hold somebody that accountable, that's probably not the person you should hire. Agreed. Agreed. And that's what I is this all from Matt Chandler? Is it? Did he write this? Or you say? No, I'm wondering if this is like born from that. I think it's it could you know that's an example, but you know I there was a season where church staffs I was on one where it was like we're all going to be on covenant eyes and you're gonna like people are gonna get your direct reports gonna get a report oh yeah a yeah Kevin's stuff. done that with uh, like other teams before yeah but this is this feels a little more reactive like what have you done in the past mm-hmm. I like where you're going with it like hey we have a culture here where we use social media in a positive way and we set up these boundaries I think that's helpful yeah because I do think a church is being uh naive to go oh yeah everyone on our church staff is doing great with it nobody's sure. doing anything they would right do. right um, and so I think it's a great conversation to have yeah it's uh, interesting bigger- for sure the bigger thing here is this. If you're out looking for a job, it, it no matter what field you're going in, they are going to look at your social media. Oh, yes, they are. They're going to comb through it. Yes. And you better be ready for that. All right. Yeah. Coming up next, an article we hinted at yesterday, Aubrey, is HGTV harming our hospitality. Mm, I want to talk that. about this. Yep. Next on The Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life. Aubrey, I just remembered... I don't think I remembered it because we're not going anywhere or doing anything. Three-day weekend, though. It's three-day <gasps> weekend. Yeah, it kind of like – it's so funny you say that. It kind of just hit me. It might have even been yesterday because I actually like texted our team here, the common good. I was like, are we working Monday? Like, it's Labor Day. And then I'm I'm preaching – I'm <laughs> yeah, Brian's like, I'm not working. I'm, I'm preaching this Sunday, and I was telling Kevin, like, oh, no one's going to be there. And he was like, you don't know that. I'm like, babe. No one's going to, it's fine. It is what it is. But Labor Day historically is the final day people go enjoy their last, you know, hurrah. It's interesting you say that because I was, we were just talking about attendance the other day and, you know, like everybody, we track it. And uh, uh, I went back and looked at like last year and stuff. It was a little down, but it wasn't, it wasn't nearly like what I thought it was. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm remembering wrong Not then. Fourth like of July, Christmas, yeah. Christmas and New Year's. That yeah. Kind of stuff. I think. 
I think not a ton of people go away Labor Day weekend because their kids are already back in school. It feels like so, like you've done your traveling. But maybe I'm wrong. We'll find out this weekend. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll compare notes this weekend. But anyway, yes, Labor Day, here we come. Here we go. All right. Uh, piece of trivia. Are you ready? Yes. Well, you probably looked at it already. But the most popular fruit in the U.S. Oh, would yeah. I have guessed this. Would you have guessed that the most popular fruit in the U.S. is the banana? I I don't know if I would have guessed it. But now that I saw it, I'm like, oh, yeah, obviously. Here's why. One, the banana is so easy to eat. It's the most love low it. maintenance fruit. Like I feel like st- I love strawberries, but man, you got to like cut off the green part and mm-hmm. they're good if you chop them up. Eating them whole is kind of a whole thing. Blueberries, I guess, are pretty easy, but you still have to wash them. You know, every other fruit, you got to like unpeel or chop up or bananas. You don't do You just peel, you eat. But this is the other thing I know about bananas. Highest sugar content of any fruit some people compare eating a banana to eating a slice of cake so i think that's part of it yes so i think that's part of the appeal is like they're sugary so they're like a dessert so of course you're going to eat a banana well that hurts i i always felt good that i would eat a banana in the morning well i mean feel good about it it's got it's still a fruit it's got good potassium and vitamins but yeah it's the most i think it's like one of the most if not the most sugary fruit that is out there wow yeah they're good though they're good uh, this statistic <laughs> that I'm reading from, and when you read it on the internet, it is always true. Yes, um, accurate. <laughs> this stat says that uh, more bananas are eaten uh, than apples, and more bananas are consumed than apples and oranges combined. So oranges fits exactly what you just said. I love a good orange, and it's yeah, they're delicious. It's I know it's like a big, it's orange. a whole, yeah, kind of slice it. What do you yeah, do? It's a whole peel? thing. Yeah. Like the cuties are okay. The mandarins. Cause then it's a slightly less like cumbersome peel, but it's a, it's a pain. Apples. The problem with apples is they are low maintenance also, but they're not ever awesome. Like unless you get a really good, like Agreed. what are the, ex- the expensive ones? The honey crisp ones. Love them. Apples yeah. are just every once you get like a mealy one. It kind of doesn't taste that good. Yep. You don't want to finish it. You. We could have a whole segment about fruit, couldn't we? <laughs> yep, yep. I do love some good fruit. You ruined me about bananas. So I'm sorry. There's, it's still not. It's better than cake. It's still better than cake. Yeah, there's all those <laughs> overweight monkeys everywhere and gorillas and stuff. So, all right. Is HGTV harming our hospitality? Over Christianity Today, Laura Detremont wrote, a trendy, perfectly furnished home is not required to be useful for the kingdom. Here's essentially the the thesis of this. Uh, a lot of us think our homes don't live up. We are embarrassed of our homes. Hmm. Kind of what we talked about yesterday when you showed yeah. when you played yeah. that Instagram yeah. kind of viral video going around. Yeah. Um, we think everybody else's homes are perfectly clean and perfectly yeah. they're trendy. They look like they came right out of Chip and Joanna Gaines. Right. TV. Right. And this person's point is this because we live with that belief, we don't have people over to our houses and hmm. we are therefore uh, missing huge opportunities for hospitality. Hmm. What the Bible talks about that kind of hosp- hmm. hospitality and community. What do you think? I think a couple things. Like, I think this might be sort of true, but I also. <laughs> How, how do I say this? I've been to enough people's homes and enough people have been into my homes. I think we all as adults know that 
no one has a perfect house unless they're millionaires. Like, mm. and I, and I will say I've been in some of my friends that are really wealthy and they have really beautiful homes. And I do find myself a little bit jealous, but I'm never like, Oh, you can't step into my house. I'd be yeah. mortified. I, I don't know. Like part of me is not sure if I totally believe this. I do believe that HGTV causes me to get really jealous and want better things than I have. I don't think it goes so far as to like, I I don't want to have people in my home. I think it's just more that like, I don't want to have people in my house because I'm an introvert and that's annoying, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I kind of agree. And I kind of feel like this isn't actually the issue. I think this is maybe part of it for some people they get a little embarrassed or they, but I think uh, again, I know I'm repeating myself here, but as adults, we've been in enough homes that I, let me ask it this way. I feel like this isn't a great excuse. I'm not even sure if it's an actual excuse being used by people. Let me give you an excuse that I think is being used by people that is down this road, but a little bit of a, a little bit of off of it. Okay. So it's kind of the same thing. Kind of not. Uh, I'll ask it as a question. Okay. You and Kevin are having somebody over. Let's say you're having yeah. family over for dinner. It's yeah. Saturday. It's Saturday and they're yeah. coming over at 530. Yeah. How much of your day is spent, is spent cleaning your house? Yeah. So. And how much, I, how much tension does it cause between you and your husband and your children? Yeah. Because of the desire to have a house a certain way by the time those people come over. So I absolutely, like, I have enough Southern hospitality in me that, like, people don't come over to my house when it's a mess. Unless it's just, like, my friend during the day. You know what I mean? Like, that feels like a totally different category. But if it's, like, our couple friends and they're coming over, we definitely tidy up. I will say, and maybe this is where I'm, like, I'm coming from, like, I keep a pretty tidy house in general. Like, I just feel better when my house is cleaner. So it's never like, oh, my gosh, we have to clean up. I don't make anybody clean upstairs. We don't do the upstairs bathrooms. But I want the guest bathroom tidied up for when guests comes over. Kitchen kind of cleared. Pillows put on the couch. I I might not be the best. I might not be the best person to have this conversation. I'm realizing because I do like a pretty clean house. But you said Carrie doesn't like to have people over for this reason, right? So she loves to have people over, but this will be, this has been an issue in the past. The gosh, it's been a crazy week. Our house is in, in not, we'll just use the phrase, not tidy. Yeah. And and the amount of work and stress it's going to take to get it to the spot where she, you feel comfortable. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not worth the time. It's like, yeah, it's too stressful. I therefore would rather have not have people over. You know what? I, I had a pastor, a pastor's wife, uh, when we used to work at a different church who would tell me that people would stop by her house. This is back in the olden days when people just like stop by the pastor's house. And she was like, I never let anybody in. I met really? them at my front door and I closed the front door behind me and I chatted with them on the porch. And she was just like, I just didn't invite them in. And I actually was like, good for you. Like people shouldn't just pop over and expect it, but you shouldn't have to invite people in. at the same time. Are we too, the, the real question is, are the expectations way too high and we just need to like, let it go and invite people into our home? I think Absolutely. yes is the answer. Uh, or if we're not comfortable having people in our homes, I would suspect that the, then the question has to be asked, where am I doing hospitality? You know Wait, what I mean? Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Am are there other places? Am I, or mm-hmm. I also think you're right. A lot of people just out of introvertedness and also it's a stew, right? Introverted, embarrassed because you don't have matching, uh, you don't have like totally 
furniture or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Tired also. Like it's from the pages of whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Whatever it is, you just end up not connecting with people. And the biblical call is hospitality. The easiest way to do that is in your home, but it's not the only way to do it. Yeah, you could take take people out, meet them out. Like, yeah, there are other go on a walk with somebody. Like, there are other ways to do hospitality if you don't want them in the house. Meet them on the front porch. Meet them on the front porch. They're not allowed in, but I'll sit with you on the porch and hold hold vigil with you there. It's wonderful in Chicago in February. Let me tell you right. how people love to invite. <laughs> There's a woman in our church who's not feeling well. She's an older woman. And I asked if uh, if I could bring her to lunch sometime. And she was like, her immediate response was, no, my kids are helping clean my house, but it's not up to my standards. No one's invited over. And I was like, I will send her some flowers instead. <laughs> Uh, HGTV, you gotta love it. All right, coming up next, Aubrey, I want to dive into uh, the difficult topic. I have a race question for you. Uh, Ooh. got me thinking from something that I read on Twitter. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. And this is a great time of year. Like, we had somebody on who uh, the other day from North Carolina, and I was like, oh, I wish we were in North Carolina. And then she was like, oh, no, it's hot down here. You guys have the better weather right now. And I was like... Yes, we do. You know, we were we were out with uh, some friends last night and like the temp like dropped and like the breeze was blowing. And I was like, this is amazing. I can kind of felt like the start of fall. I know we got a hot weekend coming, but still like there's there's hope in the air. There's hope in the air. Sometimes I'm mean to my youngest daughter unintentionally. She was like, oh, it's just so nice. Out. I, and I, I like, I don't know why I did this. I was like, did you know it's going to be 90 this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, You're like the Grinch who stole Christmas. She's like, oh, okay. Uh, You're like, of, speaking of things to do in the nice weather, the Naperville JC's last fling is back. Woohoo! And September the 1st through September the 4th. You can enjoy the last day of summer in downtown Naperville with carnival rides, live music, and food vendors. Admission is free. So for more information, check out lastfling.org. That is lastfling.org. All right, Aubrey. Uh, On this show, we like to joke around and talk about what's the most popular fruit. We also like to dive into the difficult topics that people are weighing into. Yeah, uh, one of those is race. So let me ask mm. you a question this way. Oh, I think okay. we would both acknowledge when we talk about what's wrong on social media or just in our culture, we would acknowledge that for a large group of people, uh, they don't talk enough about race. They don't. Oh. They, they try to disregard race. Oh okay. yeah, I'm acknowledging that. But yeah. every now and then, you read something where you go. Are there some people that also just talk too much about it and use it as an inflaming thing? Does that make sense? Hmm. I'm going to give you an example. Yeah, let me uh, hear the example. It's a writer named Jamel Hill. She used to be on ESPN. She used to be on SportsCenter. Okay. Now she's no longer there. Um, she was probably the first person who proudly wore the title at ESPN of woke. Like if you go what people like. Yeah, okay, gotcha. They're going to talk about Jamel Hill, okay? Yeah. And writes And she writes about race and tweets about race kind of in yeah. an inflammatory way often, okay? 
So the other day, and the reason I bring this up is because it was a big deal. It was a president, somebody who's running for president, something they said. Nikki Haley wrote this or said this the other day. She said, uh, the truth is a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for President Kamala Harris. She said this, everyone in America can see Joe Biden's decline and have concerns about his ability to serve a second term. They know a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for Kamala Harris. And then she got into media. The media needs to stop protecting Biden and tell yeah. America yeah. the truth. Jamel Hill then tweeted this. So part of the reason racism is such a terrible sickness in this country is because politicians like this know they can rally a certain base with the fear of, oh, my goodness, a black woman might be president mm. if you don't vote for me. Mm. Then we want to act all surprised when the most hateful part of the base decides they need to act out on their feelings mm. of hatred. So mm. here's my question. And I'm going to preface this with um, you've done a lot more reading and thinking about issues of race than I have. Like, it's one yeah. of the admirable things about you and your husband and the church oh, you lead. So okay? nice, Brian. Thank You're you. Welcome. I'm setting you up here, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I read Nikki, like Nikki Haley. There are many people who think Kamala Harris is a terrible vice president. Right, right. She's black, but because of how she's done as vice president. So this doesn't feel like a race thing to me. And actually, the inflaming part feels like Jamel Hill's tweet, not what Nikki Haley said. Does that make sense? And so, yeah, yeah, I'm acknowledging from the beginning. She's not wrong that there's part of the base that is gets inflamed by things like this. Yeah. Racism is a problem in our country. And many white people don't think enough about it. Like, I'm acknowledging that. Yeah. This also seemed to pour gasoline on the fire. And I don't know. It feels also a problem. I guess I would put it that way. And I want so, to know what you think about that. Well, so I here, let me say two, what's going to sound like two opposing things. I think I personally always struggle, and I'm a white person saying this, when white people feel like they need to editorialize or like censor black people's experience and their comments on Twitter. I see this kind of thing happening a lot. It happens to Dr. Esau McCulley a lot. It happened to Jackie Hill Perry a lot. They would say, they would call something out on racist and white people would go, that's not racist. You shouldn't talk like that, blah, blah, blah. And it was just this weird sort of like, I don't know this like feeling like it's okay to tell a person of color that something isn't racism and I, I am, I'm kind, I'm uncomfortable with that. I'll be honest. Like, I'm more like, Hey, if it feels racist to you, then I'm going to believe you. And again, that's Kevin and I have been in this conversation for a long time. Now that said, I'm with you. Like, I, I think a lot of people don't like President Kamala Harris because they don't like her, like not because of the color of her skin. And so, from my perspective, I I might even say it's more like you might have a woman president. You know what I mean? Like I don't. No. I, I'm, I, I'm a little like maybe it's maybe it's more of like they don't want any woman. And uh, so yeah, I I guess I'm saying two things. I don't think it's up to us, especially as white people, to try to debate whether or not she's right or wrong. That's or to try to censor, editorialize, push back on this. At the same time. I agree with you that a lot of people just don't want Kamala Harris to be president because they don't like Kamala Harris. Right. And that doesn't have, that has something to do with her personhood, 
not with the color of her skin. And so they don't want to see her be president. So I hear you. Like both things maybe are true here. Okay. So maybe the way to go about it is uh, when you, you know, you have friends who are African-American, you go, hey, I read this. Here's how this made me feel. Here's what I thought. But hey, I'm a white guy. Tell me, tell me where I'm right. Tell me where. Yeah, I'm yeah. I, I think I that's think a lot of great. People, regardless of of race, would look at what she said and go, "That feels really inflammatory. <laughs> like that feels really, yeah. Like oh, so yeah. Saying, I can't say anything because I'm white about Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. She's yeah. In the limelight, she's the vice president of the United States, and so okay, that's helpful. I, I yeah, I it does that-, that. And I went, I don't know. That doesn't feel. Like, right. That feels inflammatory. It feels it's the same thing of going. It, it feels like both sides are constantly like, what's poor gasoline? Jamel Hill does this. Like, if you follow. Yeah, her, that's kind of her. Yeah. And I I don't follow her. I don't know. I don't know who she is. Although now I'm interested in who she is. Like, oh, maybe I will start following her. Writer, and she does. Yeah. Something to, but um, you wouldn't be surprised by a tweet like this if you follow Jamel Hill. We'll just. Yeah. That way. OK. Yeah. That was helpful. Thank you for helping me process that. I mean, I don't know if I did anything, but there you go. (laughs) I think you're, no, I think what you said there talking about it as almost like two contradictory things, like, no, Mm -hmm. you you don't want to, you want to be sensitive. You want to go, okay, how does this make you feel? But at the same time go, yeah, that feels like I'm smart enough to go. That feels inflammatory. (laughs) And that feels like. Yeah. And I don't know if I would use the term inflammatory, but I might just say like, there's another perspective on this too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. There you go. Having uh, hard conversations on here, but also with sometimes we like to do funny stuff. So coming up next, Aubrey, an interview from back to somebody who did something in 2010. That was one of the most, uh, I can't imagine the regret that this guy lives with. Maybe he just laughs at it. I am dying to talk about this. Okay. He just laughs at it. It's a story from 2010. We want to bring back next year on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Aubrey, I want to play a story of regret, a story uh, that (laughs) I want to then I I just want to play the story and the audio of an interview. This guy's name uh, is Laszlo uh, Hanyetz, and and I want you to hear his story. And then I can't imagine what this guy feels like. Okay, let's let's go. Let's play the story. Just posted on the forum. I said, you know, if anybody's interested, I'm offering 10,000 bitcoins in exchange for some pizza. And somebody there said, hey, I'll, you know, I'll take you up on that offer. So I sent him the 10,000 bitcoin. I said, OK, here it is. You know, I'm waiting for my pizza. And, you know, he phoned it in. He paid with his credit card and the pizza showed up at my door. All right. For anyone who couldn't pick up, this is the famous guy. <laughs> Famously, this person in 2010 put it out there that he wanted pizzas. And he paid a guy back for two Papa John's, not even good pizzas, two Papa John's pizzas by using 10,000 Bitcoin, which even today, after Bitcoin has kind of gone down and stuff. Yeah, right, right. 10,000 Bitcoin today. <laughs> I just looked it up. What it's worth. What is it? What is it? It is over $273 million. Oh, 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 that's some expensive yeah, pizza. Apple. I hope it's <laughs> pizza or something. And, and oh man this story before yeah and, i remember this let's mm-hmm. cut this guy some slack you and i were just joking i still don't know how same coin works same it, like how do you get it 
<laughs> Do something to mine for it or whatever it is. <laughs> in 2010, this guy probably thought he was pulling one over on somebody. Right, right. Getting like two free pizzas. Like, okay. Uh, I will do this. But now, many years later, how would you feel? Like, I do think there's a conversation here about regret around life's choices. How would you even begin to process that for two pizzas, you essentially handed over $280 million? Is it so oh, that you're like, oh. never, it's nothing? Or would it, like, ruin you? No, I think it might ruin me, honestly. Like, especially just... <laughs> You know, I'll just be vulnerable. Like, kind of my sordid relationship with like the fact that I want more money all the yeah. time. Like that, that in particular, I feel like would like plague me. I would really need Jesus to help me. I need a lot of Jesus to like set me free from that regret because that is a life changing amount of money. I and like just to think for, you through it, lives. For many yeah, life generation yeah. changing amount of money, and to think you sold it, gave it away, whatever for pizza is just oh god! Just it almost makes my stomach hurt to like think about this story and like try to put myself in. Like I have to remember, like this isn't happening to me. I never had Bitcoin that I lost that could have been two hundred eighty million. But like I empathize is what I'm saying. I wonder. Like, does this guy enjoy doing these types of interviews, right? Like, um, does he enjoy being the guy who sold the Bitcoin? Uh, oh, I see. I see. I see. Or is he like, has do, this is a historic video, right? So we, there's no, been no follow up like with him crazy. now. I'm actually. I'm, yeah, because that's what I want to know. Like, does he just see it? I saw somebody say that, like, while he acknowledges the irony of spending such a valuable asset on something as simple as pizza, he sees it as part of Bitcoin's history and its journey towards mainstream acceptance. I, you just have to wonder if that's true. I'm also curious about the person he gave the 10,000 Bitcoin right. to. Like, are they rolling in it now or did they just give up on it because nobody knew what Bitcoin is? And also, what is Bitcoin? You have to mine it. I'm like, what am I doing? What are you mine- mining? Where? How? I don't get uh, it. He says he likes. He says he has no regrets around it. Oh, uh, good for him. Good for him. He has no regrets because it helped. Uh, it become like a like Bitcoin become kind of a, a thing. Uh, I don't know if I believe him. I, I really don't uh, uh, know if I believe him. But, hey, it's, it says here the joke is now a parable illustrating the competition and interplay uh, about regret and all of this stuff. Wow. Yeah, he sa- it says he has a net worth of about a million dollars on his own just from his job and stuff. But, man, oh. add the two. <laughs> oh. Uh, it, it does remind me too of, um, you know, there's. Uh, do you remember the name Steve Bartman? Do you remember? Yeah, no sports, sports. No, of course. Uh, who are you talking Cubs. to? No, I don't remember the name. Remember this story? You will. The Cubs were okay. were like two innings away from making the World Series, and they blew the game at Wrigley against the Florida Marlins, and the the centerpiece of blowing it, although they would have still blown it, I think, was uh, a fan reached over 
and like hit the ball that was going to get caught by one of the Cubs players and everybody went nuts and the guy had to get like escorted out by the police and all this stuff. You don't remember that? Yes, I remember that. That became like a cultural thing. That's why I thought you would have remembered it. His name is Steve Bartman. Okay. Yeah. To this day, nobody has ever interviewed Steve Bartman. No way. Why? He went not into hiding, but he was like, I'm not going to talk about this. There have been like documentaries. Oh, no. Find Steve Bartman. (gasps) No way. People say he still lives here in the Chicago area. Others, he's moved. It's like. Uh, it's like uh, Bigfoot. Like nobody has ever. No, this guy could have made money on like I'm Steve Bartman, but no way. But he was like, absolutely not. I don't want to be in the fray of this. Right, right. He's wow. Just, a, I want you to Google Steve Bartman today. Okay, okay. Fa- documentaries have been made about this. Okay, and okay. I'll bet you you remember this. You don't. Know I yeah. You remember this. It's somewhere in my cultural subconscious. That's I've right. just sort That's of right. buried it or something. Okay. So let's talk about regret. Life's choices. Selling 10,000 Bitcoin. Reaching over the, the railing and touching a foul ball that could have helped your team get to the World Series. Oh, Making man. A bad choice. Uh, you know, much more normal. Whatever that bad choice was. It could have been 20 years ago or 20 days ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. How would you counsel people to (sighs) not the regret necessarily of losing $280 million, but just regret in life in general. What, what is the word? How do we help people and ourselves process regret over life's choices or things we chose not to do opportunities missed? You know, I know some people might go to the sovereignty of God, like, you know, this idea that like, Okay, God is in charge of all of it. And so uh, almost like you can't live with regret because there's a there's a hand over it all guiding you. And yet I do think that kind of diminishes free will and the choices we make and the actual emotions connected to regret. You know, I it's so hard because I do think this is one of those things where you need the Holy Spirit of God to come in and like set you free and show you that it's okay. And that God can make all things new and that yesterday's decisions don't matter. You know what I mean? Like there's, uh, there's always hope. There's all, I I feel like I'm using a lot of cliches, but I also feel like the regret can be regret can cause you to freeze, I think, and not live the rest of your life that's actually in front of you. And so I do think like, do the work. If you need to see a therapist, if you need to talk to somebody else, like do the work of naming the regret, releasing it somehow. Maybe it's through prayer. Maybe it's through actual, like some type of ceremony. Maybe it's like some way to kind of mark, okay, I'm releasing this now. And then you, I think you just have to move forward and realize that the rest of your life is a gift. And so you can't continue to live in regret. Invite God to meet you there. I mean, I don't know. It's a, regret is a complicated thing, but I, I do believe the Lord wants to meet and transform us in the midst of our regrets and help us not live from them or be imprisoned by them. You know, there's always um, consequences to our actions, but there is also the hope of the verses we read, right? If you confess your sins, he's faithful just to purify us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. A lot of times uh, I think the enemy tells us, hold on to it, keep it in the darkness, Mm. hide. uh, And that grows and grows. And, you know, you can only live the next day. Like you can't live right. 
backwards. This guy, if he woke yeah. up and all he thought about was the Bitcoin that he sold for uh, two pizzas, it would be all consumed. Oh, it would destroy you. It, it would literally be enough to destroy your soul. Yeah. So I just yes. learned something Can't about the like Bitcoin that. guy. You ready? <gasps> yes. Uh, Laszlo Heinietz, and I'm probably saying his name completely wrong. Uh, that purchase was the first commercial transaction with Bitcoin ever made. No way. Yeah, at that point, he decided I'm going to buy two pizzas with 10,000 Bitcoin. He couldn't, he didn't know. No way. The first ever commercial transaction with Bitcoin. Well, he is part of history then. See, that's That's exciting. That's what he says. I don't know. You can't, you're not going to convince me he doesn't put his head on the pillow and go. Uh, 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 eating a Papa John's pizza since is the better. <laughs> I feel like I could never eat pizza again. Like, nope. <laughs> Gag Absolutely. reflex comes on with that. Hey, Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.